Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We have come to visit you in peace. And with goodwill. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Earth vs. Soup, episode 96. I'm Aaron Pollier. And I'm Darlene. And we are talking about The Flesh Eaters from 1964 today. Um... We picked this movie because it was on my list on Tubi. I saw it, and it was right next to a movie that was outside of our time frame from like 1978 called The Vampire Hookers. And I really wanted to do that, but Earth it turned, versus the spiders. Earth was between, versus the spider was there too. Between them. So my eyes obviously stopped, and we found out that Vampire Hookers is not appropriate for 1950s to 60s time because frame. Because it was done in 78. I just said that. And Earth versus the Spider, we had already done on episode 46 yep. of Earth versus Soup. So the flesh eaters it was. Um, let's go into some of the background with this movie. Uh, this, the director was a guy named Jack Curtis, who was also the producer on this film. Now, he hasn't directed or produced anything else. What he's mainly known for is voiceover work that he did for um, Japanese imports. So he was actually a voice actor on the English dub of um, Gamera the Invincible. So we've heard his voice before, at least, because we've watched all the Gamera films. And this is the director. Yeah. And he also did uh, voiceover on Speed Racer. So he Which was character? Pop Racer and Lionel Racer and Inspector Detector. That's what he's listed as on Internet Movie Database. I, I'm not a Speed Racer fan. Uh, we have some friends that are. so they would I watched least... it when I was a kid. All right. Well, then you have heard his voice as well there. Um, but it's the writer of the film that actually has an interesting background. His name was Arnold Drake. And he would be familiar to any of the fans out there that are comic book fans. Because he created the Doom Patrol for DC. And a lot of the characters that were involved with that. Um, he also ended up doing, uh, along with Gene Colan, he actually uh, helped create the original version of the Guardians of the Galaxy for Marvel back in like the late 60s. So, um, 
a very interesting pedigree for this movie, like kind of an unknown person directing and producing it, but a writer that actually has done a lot of writing work in general. Um, but this seems to be a little bit off the path of all that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this movie's weird. It, there's only one real actor in this that is known uh, for a lot of different things, and his name is Martin Kosleck. Uh, and he was uh, he fled Germany as the Nazis were coming to power and ended up getting like typecast as villainous German. He despised the Nazi Germany. So yeah. he left Germany and uh, ended up getting then, being typecast into he that, actually played five uh, gar, garbles. Yeah, Goebbels five times played Goebbels in different things. And he, the Poor thing guy. is, is that the guy is able to project menace. He's a good actor that way. And respect to the guy just continuing to work through, even though he despised all, you know, every role that he had that was like a Nazi. In this, is he a Nazi? No. no. But he's using Nazi research to his own ends. Because he was an American that was sent back over. No, he was a German that came over and then... No, the spec stories at the very end was that he gave at the very end was that his character had was sent over because he spoke German well. Yeah, but his accent is even German. It's clear that he was German. He he was raised in Germany. Okay, can I keep going with yeah. what I was going to say? To to do spy on the science yeah. in Nazi. And he came back and yeah. And he must have picked up the bad ethics. I don't know. He just saw... We'll, we'll get into it on the plot. Because this this movie... Have you ever seen it before? I might have. I don't, I don't not, remember it. I, I, I remember some of it. Yeah. So, there's also an airplane in this movie. And we should talk about that before we even begin. Because... It's not, it's only in a couple of the plot points and I don't want to like pause while talking about the plot to go into like our geekery about this airplane. A CB. It, it, yeah, it's a uh, Republic Aircraft's RC-3 built in 1946. I got its tail number. It's N6047K. And still so flying today. it is still flying today. It is actually in Arizona, but yeah, it was built in 1946 and it's a beautiful aircraft. Um, you can still, uh, they only built them for like a few years. Mm -hmm. What did you say? There was around a thousand that were built? A thousand a year. Oh, a thousand a year. So maybe like 3,000 total. And uh, they ended it in 48. Yeah. So it's only like three, three or four years of production. And you can still find them today. People are still like maintaining them, um, pulling parts out of a whole bunch of different CBs to put together new ones. But like I was seeing brand new ones ranging from what 60,000 to 250,000 and they oh, were to get you why we we um investigated this was because in the sh in the movie she was going to pay one him, of the characters not she one of the characters one of the characters was going to play a uh, pay the pilot a thousand dollars because she lost the plane she thinks she lost the plane but we'll get to that. Yeah, and we're like, no, that plane's worth more than that. And yeah, it was. Even in that time. Even in that it was, time, it was worth way more. You than would that. have had to pay four to six thousand dollars for that plane. Yeah, when it was brand new. When it was brand new. So it would probably have been about the same amount of money 
1964 because they hadn't been in production for a while. They're all going to be used. But the, the thing is, is that those planes are, are valuable because they're amphibious. They're amphibious. They're four seaters. Yeah. And they have really good like reliability. So they're still that, that's the reason why they're, why they're still sought after today. So anyway, I thought it was really cool that this plane from 1946 is still flying. It's an amphibious plane, and it's in Arizona of all places. But it's still there. It's still where around. the hell does it land? <laughs> well, I'm sure there's there are lakes out there, you know, and you can, yeah. I mean, what about Lake Powell and Lake? Yeah, all behind Hoover Dam. So anyway, let's talk about let's talk about the plot now. We haven't seen it, but this was a good surprise of a movie. Well, it starts with a. It starts with what? Starts with a woman in a bikini and and a very annoying song yeah the music in this film is a bit off it's it's a little aggravating but you know what for the time it probably was okay for the audience the target audience of this movie and the douchebag freddie takes her top off okay so let's let me describe it because you're jumping around already okay so there's a woman on a boat she's suntanning okay it's a nice boat he, this one guy comes out and starts dripping like soda on her back. She gets ticked off. Um, she jumps into the water, right? No, before he takes her, as she, she jumps into the water because she he took off her top. Yes. And, and it's then, called the Mary M. <coughs> of New York. Yes. And then he jumps in and he just does not come back up off out of the water. No, he doesn't. And blood starts surrounding the woman. Yeah. And then she screams, and there's bubbles, and she dies. Yeah, and it goes right into the flesh. She's got lots of blood on her hands. And <coughs> excuse me. So we then go to see this airplane, and there is it, it's at like this aeroport that's in New York City, and obviously this is where I geeked out about the aircraft. Wrote down its tail number, tried to figure out all the stuff about it, but there are two women that are that want to rent a plane to go to Provincetown, but there's a tropical storm coming in. So this one dock worker directs them, and, and these two women are Jan Letterman, who is the assistant to Laura Winters. Laura <laughs> Winters is supposed to be some actress, wealthy actress. Yeah, and she is an alcoholic. And I wouldn't even see, say that she's a functional alcoholic. No, she's She's not. a sloppy alcoholic. And they don't hold back with the fact that she even knows she's an alcoholic. She knows how bad she is. Everyone around her knows how bad she is. This is not tried to like. And at one point she calls her alcohol her medicine. Yeah. She, they're not being subtle about it. She has a problem. It is a big problem. Okay. So. And they're going to, they're wanting to fly from New York to Provincetown. Yep. I already said that. And they end up finding this guy, this pilot, his name is Grant Murdoch, who owns this RC3 plane. And she, he's kind of like, I don't know if I should go because the weather's getting bad. And it's not like my plane's a big plane and can just plow through it. It really isn't that large of a plane. And she goes, I'll do triple your normal price. And he's like, sure, I guess my life is worth that much. And at that point, you're not really sure if he's being sarcastic or... I think he was being sarcastic, but the next comment that he makes is, we better get going or I'll never get up. Because, yeah, because... the radio, <clears throat> the operators won't allow you to go. Yeah, and technically his like dispatcher 
was already having problems. Like, yes. she was already thinking, boy, maybe no one should be going out. So the plane, for some reason, for some reason, stops getting fuel to its engine while they're in flight. And he has to put down, the pilot, Grant he Murdoch, has to put down. He said his carburetor might have froze. Mm-hmm. That's all we know. It's not really explained later. It's just, this is like the event that sets off everything else in the movie. He has to put down on an uninhabited island somewhere between New York City and Provincetown. Um, he anchors the plane in, into the beach, and a man in scuba gear comes out of the surf, and this is Professor Bartell. Yes. He's the, he's the, he's a professor of marine biology. All right, so we go then to a scene where the actress is kind of wandering around. She freaks out because she finds a full skeleton with one hand holding a bikini top. Now, we're led to believe that that's the woman that we saw at the beginning of the no, film. No, the man, because he had her bikini top. They all say that is a female skeleton and refer oh. to it as she repeatedly. Oh, so, so who knows? Error? Yeah. But the other error was, the first thing I noticed was everything was attached. So yeah, was yeah, the skeleton a... is fully articulated. Yeah. So it's like the ones that you get in the... In a classroom. <laughs> yeah. So they cover up the bones and they say, yeah, we'll get the police out here. The German guy's like, we'll get the police out here at some point. Let's batten down the hatches because the storm is coming. in." The German guy... <laughs> Professor Bartel, he has a tent that is set up be in, in the middle of some dunes. He says, the dunes are, are a good shelter against the wind, but with this storm coming in, it is supposed to be a hurricane, that this might not be enough, so we need to really batten down the hatches. There's a pet parrot inside, which is a little weird. There's also lots of different lab equipment. Okay, so everyone decides to then build another shelter based on some blankets that this guy has. I don't know. But it is, they get two cots in there. Mm -hmm. Well, Murdoch gets an inflatable raft from the boat, like an emergency raft, and they're going to use that as an extra bed. Now, we're never really shown this extra tent that they they build, but it, I, I guess it doesn't really much matter. Um, but they're on, the girls are on cots instead of that floating yeah raft so the storm comes the storm passes um murdoch doesn't think that the plane can actually still take off there's too much turbulence and this is where the professor claims that sharks might have eaten that woman who was on the beach the skeleton and murdoch thinks this is absolute nonsense mainly because when have you ever heard of a shark eat the flesh off the bones and leave all the bones behind? And everyone's like, yeah, I guess that makes sense. The two girls, that makes sense. Um, this is where the actress, Laura Winters, decides she's gone long enough without her booze and goes back to the plane because her suitcase is filled with liquor. Okay. She goes back and starts drinking herself to not to death, but she starts drinking herself silly. Okay. 
And talking to herself. Yes. Okay, but this is also the point where there's this weird kind of flirtation between Bartell and Winters. Yes. And he, he call, uh, calls her a lack of self-control and yeah, something else. Yeah, she has no, all body and no brains. And no... And he, she ends up biting his hand and then runs away after he tries to like... With her suitcase. Tries to grab her. And this is where she actually gets into the plane and starts drinking oh. herself silly inside the plane. She had already started drinking outside of the plane. All right. Anyway, this is also where we see um, Bartell finding a piles of glowing fish bones all washed up on the beach. And he picks up one. It's in full skeleton that's glowing. Yeah, there's a little bit of flesh hanging on it still. But it's still fully... It looks like an actual like dead fish. It still should... Bones should be falling off of it. So we go back to the airplane where um, Winters gets out of the plane and passes out on the beach. And here we see the professor not only has been lying about the sharks, obviously there's something really sinister going on with him, but he ends up untying the airplane from its anchor rope mm-hmm. and then putting the untied end in Winter's hand as she sits there on the beach, like completely dead to the world. Okay. Yeah, she's... He pushes the plane out and it floats away into the ocean. Okay. So the pilot thinks that the actress ended up untying the plane when he comes to find. Actually, she thinks she did. Well, it. yeah, but he accuses her and then she, Winters fully believes that she actually did it because she can't remember. The only thing she remembers is going to the plane and drinking herself. And she's like, it makes sense. I woke up and the rope is in my hand. It, yeah. it would be something dumb that somebody completely drunk out of their and mind. And her assistant. Uh, her assistant doesn't really think it's feasible. Um, well, right before that, he calls them to that they're they're going to leave. Yeah. And her his assist her assistant Jan. goes goes to look for her and she hasn't even been in the cot all night. Yeah, she's just been drinking in the plane and passing out, like being passed out. So she's like distraught. Um Laura is completely distraught. And this is where uh this is where there is there's a shot of her of, of this actress seeing her suitcase floating in the ocean. Okay. And she's off like, Oh, thank a... God. It's just off like a spit of rocks. Yes. Okay. She's like, a Oh, breaker. thank God. At least I have my liquor. And she starts jumping over rocks and things like that to go out there to grab her suitcase full of liquor. But this is also where, um, the pilot ends up seeing that there's these like glowing things in the water. That's what's ca- caused all of the fish bones to glow. And there's lots of fish bones on the, on the, uh, yeah, there's lots of fish bones and they're like, Oh crap. These things are what are killing everything. And the water is full of them. And she, he sees some shiny stuff right near where Laura is with her seat suitcase. Yes. So she, the, the actress freaks out. Winters freaks out. She's on the, on this like far rock. Her suitcase is like bobbing in the water, but there's like smoke rising out of the water. Cause these creatures are like eating, um, 
Probably the leather. Yeah, eating the leather. Now, what these creatures are, really, when they're like this, we don't really get a good vision of them. They, they're either they're either single-celled organisms they're of some sort. They're supposed to be some kind of microscopic. Yes, but they also are like pieces of metal. That's what they kind of look like as well. They, maybe they, they congregate together into these like flecks of metal. So they actually are visible to the eye, but they're often implied to be single-celled organisms. So who knows? Anyway, the pilot goes out to get her, and he has to carry her off the rocks because she freaks out and is completely helpless and is generally an awful alcoholic. And he gets some of these <coughs> things on his... Yes, he does. He slips at one point and splashes his foot into the water, and, and these things start burning his skin. And there was a scene that I actually had to look <coughs> away from because the professor cuts out the creature, the organism from his leg. Yeah, like it's eating into his leg, and, he, and the, the German guy, the professor, pulls out this knife and digs into his leg. And okay, so we should probably say at this point, this movie for 1964 actually has some kind of gruesome stuff in it. Um, it's in black and white. I didn't watch it because I turned. There is some gruesome things in it. I did not watch that scene because I turned away. <laughs> so this is one of them. There's lots of blood coming out of his leg. He's the clearly first, in pain. The first scene had the gruesome set with all the blood all, all over her yeah, But that wasn't that bad. It's like, oh, look, there's blood in the water. And she pulls up her hands out of the water. But this is more like this guy's digging into his leg with a knife and there's blood streaming out and smoke and things. Um, and shiny thing. Yes. So uh, the professor also tries to put this creature that he dug out into a cigarette case. And it turns out that these creatures will eat through metal to get at flesh once they sense flesh is nearby. So he's like, oh, crap, we can't really contain these things very well. So now we go to our first introduction of a character outside of these Omar. four people. OK, is that Omar? OK, it's Omar. And I always wrote down he's just a hippie. He's a not really a hippie because he's not a long hair hippie he's just like a peace and love man who has a straight lace cut of hair and anyway i i couldn't understand hardly anything <coughs> that he said hey man love love is a weapon man we should use love as a weapon like he's really kind of i uh, i thought he belonged with with he was high wires. as a kite water uh winters with her drunkenness oh He's a... yeah yeah he he just comes off as being incredibly high and out of it most of the time but he's on a raft of like strung together pieces of board and he has a sail that says what like it's some slogan but it has like a heart on it and he's there's like a record player and they oh. start like trying to wave him off, like get away from the shore. And he's got the creatures. music so loud that he can't hear him. Hey man, I, how's it going? You guys are having a party, you know, and they're like, get away, get away. No, man. Uh, you can't just stop the love. <coughs> Sorry for the coughing. I'm still recovering. Okay. <coughs> and uh, I, I didn't write very much down here. Because uh, it basically goes to him. So anyway, he jumps off into yeah. the water and like comes off and he's like smoking. His sandals are covered in these things. They're eating at his feet. The professor gets all the stuff off his feet. He's fine. Um, 
Murdoch, there's a scene between Murdoch and Jan here where Murdoch has this kind of long discussion with Jan about how he's never had any luck with women, that he actually was married once right at the end of the war, like right before the war ended. And it turned out that his wife had been marrying other Army Air Corps pilots and hoping they would die so she would get like um, widow benefits from them. And he just turned out to be lucky enough to marry her right before the end of the war. And he came back and she got found out that she had been basically exploiting the system. And he's like, I felt really bad because I think she actually did love me and I actually did love her, but she was also a bigamist. And that would, that actually did happen. Yes. But she was also doing it for the money and she tried to get away when she realized she couldn't get the money from him. So he, he's kind of down, but they're wandering around on this deserted Island and they come across this giant solar battery slash generator. And again, you're like, wait, Aaron, is that a thing back then? I'm like, yeah, we, we've already talked about this. Remember the, uh, the episode that we did where there was this field inside. It was the Mexican uh, movie where there was, like the bubbles in the cave that were trapping people and it was making people go insane. Okay. Anyway, yes, solar batteries are around and it's powering all of his experiments, the professor's experiments. That's why he has like light bulbs in his tent. It's why he has a radio, all that. And it turns out that he has as well, a jar full of seawater with these creatures in it. And they're kind of like, they look like gold flakes basically going around and i guess these creatures can't eat through glass for whatever reason hey guys it is ryan i'm not sure if you know this about me but i'm a bit of a fun fanatic when i can i like to work but i like fun too it's a thing and now the truth is out there i can tell you about my favorite place to have fun chumba casino they have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week you can play for free anytime anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. And he's like, okay, I think we can do an experiment here. We're going to see if electricity can kill these things so we can escape from the island. So he puts in like 10,000 volts into this little, this little bowl of water. And it ends up killing all the creatures in it. And he starts timing it like he expects these things to come back to life and they don't. So it's, it's clear that he thought that this really wouldn't work or at the very least it would only work temporarily. So they see, they come up with this idea that they're going to run electrical wires down to the beach and they're going to throw electrical wires into the ocean from this giant solar battery that they have solar battery slash generator. And they're going to electrocute this area of water, like put all, all this current through the water to kill everything. Um, and here is where we see like the supply boat coming in that the uh, professor has been talking about, that, that that might be their first chance to get off the island is when the supply boat comes. But the supply boat comes like a day early and they weren't really prepared for it. So this guy is like hauling ass right towards the island. And as he gets close, the water's splashing around him because it's a small boat and he gets splashed in the face and he freaking screams like burns or smoke coming off him. And finally he slumps forward in the boat 
just a skeleton again. And the boat like curves off and goes off into the ocean. And they're like, well, if he doesn't report back or if they find the boat, at the very least, they might send somebody here to the island to investigate to maybe rescue us. Ugh. So now we end up having the scene where the professor kills what is it? What's his name? The Jim. The no Omar. I'm Omar. sorry, Omar the hippie. He puts one of these creatures into like this glass of like something. He 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 he's making a drink for Omar, and Omar like acts like there's nothing wrong. He's got a little bit of indigestion. Then he just starts screaming and like and then blood his starts. Intestines come out. Yeah, like blood starts pouring out of his gut, and he's just screaming. And the professor is like <clears throat> shrugging, and he turns on his tape recorder and starts taping this guy screams it's pretty it's pretty gruesome it's very gruesome but then the professor puts the body on the raft and it turns out that this this flesh eater didn't eat omar's entire body it just ate like his midsection out before it fell out so like there's a body of omar on this raft that the professor then like pushes out into the ocean and has the tape recorder on the raft playing his screams to like cover up the fact that he killed him so that he's trying to make everybody else think that he's just he tried to get off the island and died right so the actress tries to flirt with um to flirt again to get in the good graces of the professor but he ends up stabbing her with a knife yep because he's like screw this i'm done <clears throat> I'm just going to kill everybody here because everyone's going to report me for doing like unethical experiments at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, then the Luger comes involved. Yeah. But at this point, we also see that the creatures that he electrocuted really are coming back. They're like reawakening. And it turns out that they're growing underneath the sheet. We don't really see what's going on, but these creatures are multiplying and coming together into a, a like a, it's a, like the electric energy is enhancing them. <clears throat> Yes. So we then have him, the professor with the Luger. See, that's the next scene pulling it on, on uh, Grant and Jan, who are the only two people really left. All right. And he explains that the Nazis during the war bred these creatures and actually did release them by uh, Florida or Georgia. Yeah. And then like there were certain like die offs that were due to like, um, oxygen depletion that happened in the past and he says that they're the the cause was honestly from these creatures but they never worked during the war for some reason no one knows why <coughs> excuse me and what happens is that the creature that was inside the tent now reveals itself from underneath this sheet it is combined into this kind of crazy bubbly tentacly monster that jumps out of the tent and chases everybody down. This is where we see the actress come like screaming out of nowhere that the she actually wasn't dead. She was, yeah, she had been she stabbed. Has, she, she, he stabbed her in the liver and her liver is, <laughs> her liver is already dead. So it's not like it really hurt her. Um, she charges at the professor with this knife. Uh, he shoots her and then is kicked down the dune that they were on top of. And she rolls into the creature that's trying to climb up the dune. And the knife goes into this creature's eye. And she's covered in her own blood. And blood from her arm pours into the creature. 
and the creature basically explodes in a puff of logic. Like it just poof, it dies. And all that's left is the body of the actress down there that they remark, hey, look, it didn't dissolve her. This is kind of crazy. <coughs> so then, then we find out that they had already, well, er, in an earlier scene, they'd actually already still tossed the electrodes into the water and put electricity through. And they're like, okay, we're screwed. There's creatures out there now that are like combining out of this entire ocean. And there's going to be some really awful, insane monster that comes out. Um, the professor tries to kill everybody again. Cause he's like, I'm not going to be tried for murder. I'm going to kill everybody here. So there's no witnesses. Um, Murdoch then tosses the professor into the ocean where he is dissolved by the single-celled creatures that are still there. But this is where the giant kaiju version of this creature finally rises up out of the water. Bad monster. Uh, it, I don't know. I think it's an interesting interesting monster concept. Um, so we then have Murdoch in like a scuba gear because the plan was that the professor had before he was tossed into the water was that he got like blood samples from everybody and took as much blood as possible from everybody to put into this giant comically large syringe and that they were going to use it to somehow shoot into the eye of whatever giant creature rose out of the water. Well, Murdoch's like, screw it. I'm going to go out there and try to save Jan. Jan, just keep back. I'm going to go out there. Murdoch is like smoking from like the creatures trying to eat through his wetsuit. And the creature grabs him with its tentacles and like tries to get it up into its mouth. But he like is able to escape and climb up on top where its eye is. And he jabs it with this comically large syringe, shoots like all this blood into its eye. It explodes. The end. Murdoch, it's actually Murdoch and Jan like sitting on the beach. I guess like saying, well, thank God it didn't explode into like chunks of flesh that would rain down upon the beach. At least they have like a halfway clean beach after all this. This was my thought on this the one, end is how could blood, if you're a flesh eater, how could blood be the thing? That... Well, yeah, I know that doesn't make sense. doesn't make sense. Right. Like you could say, all right, well, it's, they're eating tissue. And I guess that once it gets to the blood, blood can kill them for whatever reason, but it doesn't really make sense. It's not cooking the meat before it. <laughs> Yeah, I know. It, it it doesn't really make sense. Okay, so what worked in this movie, Darlene? Um, I know we didn't do very good justice to the plot because there's actually a lot of dialogue in this movie that isn't bad. It's not it's not outstanding. It doesn't stand acting. out. The acting is pretty good in this. Yeah. For and almost all of these actors, except for the guy that plays Professor Bartell, whose name is uh the character's name is Koslik. I mean, excuse me, the the actor's name is Koslik. Bartell is the character's name. Um, he's the only really known actor in this. Everybody else were in bit parts in TV and very little at that. And to be fair, I thought everybody in this movie, except Ray Tudor as the hippie Omar, everybody else did a really good job. I thought they didn't have tons of material, but they actually gave really good performances. <coughs> Nothing else? Um... You said quite a few things. I thought that the beach setting that they had was good. It felt like a it, it felt like a location that hadn't been overused, that it felt like it was deserted. 
it looked like it might have been on uh, I've seen pictures of like New York uh, Staten Island it's not Staten but, you're thinking Long Island Long but, Island yeah and uh, it looked like that did you notice but there was a cliff thing there and I don't know where that well was. okay did, there's only one time that we actually see a map in this movie that even implies exactly where this is. Cause remember they're supposedly going from like New York to Provincetown. It's when the supply team is going to go out to uh, give supplies to the professor. There's a map of Maine on the wall. So that suggests that they're somewhere in Maine, but that's further North. Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> so who knows? Who knows? I'm just saying there's a map of Maine. So I'm thinking it's, it's some non, descript place in new england on the coast but the setting worked it felt like it was actually a, a remote island somewhere on the atlantic coast um they got an aircraft that made sense that it could set down and deliver these people to this island without an airfield they they, they put the effort in that just instead of saying oh yeah there's a there's a disused airfield on this island or whatever just to make an excuse they they actually put together the excuse for not being able to easily get off the island by the professor wanting to basically cover up all of his research and all i have to do is untie this aircraft and push it out on the ocean and then individually kill one after yeah, the other and he can because i mean he has like a luger and he he's just out there killing people i don't know he has lots of different ways to kill people um like push him into the water yeah, when the water itself is deadly and can just melt your skin off, it's not like it's hard to kill people. But um, Martin Koslick, the actor that plays the professor, actually is very good in this movie. He's menacing. Um, he's able to project that kind of disdain that he has for the people around him. Um, I thought it, he did a very good job, like out, outstanding. Um, the other thing that I would say that this movie did really, really well with is... Uh, making it feel like these characters were actually in danger. Like, yes, most of the scenes take place near the water's edge, but you can see all the actors really trying to like avoid the water that they're constantly looking at it. Like it's like it's acid because it basically is. Um, they're really giving off the, 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 subtle cues like body language that they're all very scared of what's happening um maybe that was direction maybe that was the actors and maybe all these actors were really underrated i thought they all did a fine job um anything else that you feel worked really well the dialogue really writing was pretty good yeah it didn't feel that stilted uh, you can tell that this movie was pretty cheap you even but, under, you even understood that uh, whatever her name is, that's the assistant. Jan did not care for Winters. No, but she was a professional, and even and, and Winters said at one point that she was. Uh, Look, you're the best assistant I've ever had, and I know you hate me. You have never missed an appointment, made me miss an appointment. You've never forgotten a single detail, a phone number, a, a medication. That was when she like, she forgot her suitcase yes that yes that J, that jan left the suitcase in the airplane to, because murdoch told her yeah that, that this isn't a vacation this is not a vacation i don't need her drunk yep yep 
it all makes sense. Like all, all the little steps in this movie, all the little pieces of dialogue tend to build towards other scenes. And I like that about this movie. <coughs> it's not Shakespeare by any means, but it's not offensively bad. You know what I mean? No. And it's, it, it uh, allows you to know what is going on. Now I will say the thing that works, but also doesn't work in this movie because we, we are on different sides of that is the monster. I don't like the, monster. I think the concept of the monster, like the Kaiju version of the monster is cool. I think it, it looks it, like something you took Dawn, put a, a straw in that. <coughs> went, it's and, a bubbly creature with tentacles and a central eye. Like it's not your standard bug eyed monster. It's not like a um, killer shrew or anything like that. You know what I mean? It's, it's not a slime monster. It's this weird alien looking thing. And I'm not saying it turned out well, because the special effects with it, like how they made it glow and all that stuff, like how they how they composited it into the shots, terrible. Well, really I'm glad bad. You, you believe that. No, 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 really, really bad. I'm just saying the idea of the kaiju version of the monster was kind of cool. I like what they were trying to do. Okay, but the, I have a that I the my problem with the monster was it did not look like. Oh, it looked terrible. It looked horrible. It looked terrible on the screen. Now. The idea of these like single celled creatures acting like piranha in the water. Again, cool. Awesome. You don't really have some, a monster that you have to see. Your, your threat is the water itself. Yeah. It, they, they try to show like uh, light sparkling off the top of the, the water as, Oh, those are the creatures. And you're like, okay, that's, that's kind of dumb. But the fact is, is that they're like little sparkly particles in the water. That's all you have to show. And if people touch it, you just put like special effects smoke coming from around them or whatever. And then you highlight them on the film with the glow that as they're like skin burns or whatever. Again, that worked. It's, it's, I don't have to show the monster. Yeah. The, as long as like all their special effects were not great. Yeah. The special effects in this movie weren't great. We can say that for, for sure. But the premise of the hemoglobin was really bad. Yeah, the science is not good. The science is um, good. Up, up to that point, I could see electrical stimulation stimulating something to grow. Yeah, I mean, in the in the in the logic of this movie, that's fine. You know, it there's nothing wrong with that. It's science fiction, so you have to make some like you have to give it some leeway, right? As long as like the the movie isn't breaking its own logic well it did hemoglobin is part of the flesh i know and that's why it's that part is crap like that doesn't that doesn't make sense at all that doesn't and the movie brought me joy with the airplane yes that is a beautiful plane it, those rc3s look up are a, a look it up and republic rc3 yeah it's a neat looking plane too yeah it's got like this bulbous nose it has like a pusher prop in, in it yeah the engine is up above where the uh, Wings the passenger out. would be. Yeah, it's it's a pusher prop, so the the prop is actually in behind, behind the cockpit. the, yeah. And it has like these wheels that tuck up to its sides that can drop down, so that's why it's an amphibious. It can actually land at a regular airfield or on the water. I really liked the fact that the shots that they did while they were in the plane in flight, they literally just left the door open and filmed into the airplane. 
like at a uh, uh, angle so it looked like you were in total sky yeah yeah and then they just rocked it because it was probably just at at dock so hey we're gonna rock it and it's gonna make it look like it's in flight and it was very effective did they need to build a set for the airplane no just film through the windows that's all you need to do and it worked really well um what else is there anything else that you can think of that worked or didn't work in this i think it covered all of it i mean there are things that did not work this is not like a perfect movie but but it was enjoyable it was really enjoyable and it it does have a decent rating on internet movie database it's like a 5.9 out of 10 and for for the movies that we tend to watch for this show if we get a five it's pretty yeah it's it's pretty good at a five but we should always remember our, our point of always asking what can a modern filmmaker take away from this movie um the dialogue was really good you know i actually I, I think they they okay you think focus on dialogue well this one i would say it's how they go about it just like last movie it was really interesting to see the the play this one was exactly this was exactly opposite where nobody liked each other yeah nobody knew each other and you still had that back and forth it was it was good and you know what here here's the thing this is one of the few times i'm gonna say i think m night Shyamalan actually did something right (laughs) and and people might hate me because i'm i'm not an m night Shyamalan fan in general but his most recent movie um where people age very quickly like a, a year every hour or something like that on on a beach has a similar idea to this where the environment itself is trying to kill you because yeah okay there's monsters in the water here right they'll eat you but it's the in general you're not seeing the monster in the water you're the environment is seemingly the thing that's trying to kill you and you have people that are manipulating you on land to be in danger and so that most recent m night Shyamalan movie kind of has a similar idea i'm not saying it is this idea i'm just saying it's similar but the lesson that was taken away that could be taken away from that movie or or flesh eaters is that you don't need a monster even though they put a monster in the end and it, it did not work in this case you don't need to have a monster up in your face. The monster can be always present. It's the environment that's trying to kill you, right? It's this constant threat. We are stuck here. Everything we do to get off this little island is killing or, or hurting us. How are we going to get off this thing? We need to figure out what this problem is, how to defeat it, how to get around it, and maybe live long enough so that either we get away or help comes and our whole world is in this this little case of the environment is a problem yes but it works in that way like you don't need flashy special effects to to um show threat in this case like there's threat in this movie we see it immediately in the first scene where people are dying in the water and then we see the skeleton on the beach yeah is it a cheesy cheesy articulated skeleton (laughs) Yes, it is, but it sets up the threat exactly, it is exactly what you need. Now you know that there's something in the water that will kill you, and we see people that are like, hey, look, if I splash a little bit of this water on me when I'm going out to save the drunk lady, 
I have to have a knife dug digging in my leg to get this thing out because it's eating right through me. Again, that's all you need. Okay, now we know the water is bad. Do we need to see somebody getting dissolved in the water every 10 minutes? No. Nope. Nope. And we don't. Because you don't you don't have to. all those people well, yeah, there. You too. don't have it. But even if you did, you don't need it. No. We already have seen the threat. We know what's going to happen. Move on. Do your other things now. Make your movie memorable in different ways. And that's what this movie does right. So do we recommend it? I'd recommend it, yes. I'd recommend it too. It it actually is different not a reasons bad movie. than you do, but Well, the reason I, I like the atmosphere of the movie. I really like the atmosphere, like that kind of, I wanted to say Creeping Terror, but Creeping Terror is a terrible movie. Um, that that threat of the water around us is going to kill us. We can't get off this island. What are we going to do? And One of our favorite books has that all over the world. What? Uh, the Destroyer Men. Oh, yeah, with all the, the, the flashies. flashies. The flashies <laughs> in the water. Taylor Anderson's The Destroyer Men series is very, very, very good. Um, we do recommend that book series. We might, maybe we'll talk about it on an episode of earth versus soup as a, here, we're going to talk about books today, but, um, who knows? Who knows? Tell us if you'd like us to do that. Yeah, yeah, Cause we us. are avid readers too. Yeah. And there's bookshelves that I have of different, like weird series behind me. Um, our house is filled with books besides uh, B movies and, <laughs> and, and whatnot. So, um, yeah, we both recommend it. Uh, any final thoughts? Um, no, not really. Yeah, no, no. I, I'm really surprised. My final thoughts are that I'm really surprised that the actors that are in this, didn't, besides the professor, didn't go on to do a lot more things. Yeah, if you look it up at on Wiki, there's only two of them that you can click on. Yeah, I mean, honest, honestly, <laughs> the pilot, Grant Murdoch, who's played by, uh, played by Byron Sanders, he just does not have a listing. And he was very charismatic. Like, he just has a lot of TV series that he was in, and the 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 most the most of these TV series. Well, he was in from from these roots, and he was Bruce Crawford and from these roots in um, three hundred and eighty two episodes. Jeez, so that must have been like a soap opera of some sort. Um, but otherwise, it was just kind of TV, just generally TV. Um, I'm surprised because he's charismatic. He actually has a bit of a screen presence. Um, I liked him in it, but that's just one of the examples. Like everybody in this, I thought was good. So um, we'll leave it there, folks. I, I hope you enjoyed listening. Have a good evening. And I guess I'll, 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 I'll end with keep watching the skies. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Thanks for listening to this episode of This Week in Geek. Hungry for more? Check out our website at thisweekingeek.net. You can subscribe to the podcast, browse our Twitter and Instagram, and leave your thoughts on today's topics. If you'd like to give us some feedback, send us an email at feedback at thisweekingeek.net. Tune in next time, and remember, lower your shields and surrender your listenership. We would be honored if you would join us. Thank you for your cooperation. Good night.